how do you know that this is the truth? We'll see tonight that it's not made up. And so no matter whether you find Christian life easy or hard, whether it feels good or doesn't feel good, the only thing for you to do is to cling to this and build your life on it. But how do you know that it's true? Some things in life aren't true or false. When I was at school, we spent a lot of lunch times arguing about which thing was better. I'll tell me if you guys still do that. But we would uh, have arguments about whether Nintendo 64 or PlayStation 1 was better. We would argue about uh, soccer versus real football. We would argue about uh, Macs versus PC. We would argue about which Pokemon is the best. We would argue, even believe it or not, about whether InSync or I can't say it, but I think that's right, or Backstreet Boys was the better band. Now, I really don't know what you guys argue about today, uh, but these are just some examples of things where there really is no true or false about it, yeah? It's just opinions. Some things are true or false. For example, it is true, next slide, that the sun is more than 200 years old. Uh, if you, know, if you know where that's from, you'll get why that looks like that. If you don't, too bad. Uh, I'm pretty sure that the next one is false, but I have not confirmed. There you go. Some things are true or false, but things like that, whether they're true or false, it doesn't matter very much. Some things, however, do matter, whether they're true or false. For example, this sign, I'm not sure if it's true or not, I don't know why you would make a garden like this, but if it is true and you're there, you want to pay attention to that sign. It matters. It's life or death. The letter that we've had read for us tonight makes claims that if they are true or false, uh, they, they, they can't be, they're not just opinions. They, these claims are either true or false. And whether they're true or false matters for eternity. Now, eternity is more than 100,000 years, Okay. That's an understatement. Uh, eternity is like if you had 100,000 years and then you did that again 100,000 times, you're not even getting close to eternity. It'll hurt your head to think how long eternity is. And the reason that this, whether this is true or not, matters so much is because it deals with the question how do you get to heaven? Some people think that heaven doesn't exist. Some people think that you get there by being good. That is not the Bible's message. A lot of people think that that's what the Bible is saying, that you, you go to heaven by being good. That's not what it's saying. Some people think that you get to heaven just by trusting in Jesus. And some people think that you need to trust in Jesus, but you also need to do something extra, like be circumcised. Now, it occurs to me that uh, this is going to keep coming up and we shouldn't just assume that people know what circumcision is. So I'm going to explain it to you, okay? And I have props. <laughs> there is a part of the body <laughs> that men have that girls don't have. And if you don't know what part I'm talking about, there's a question you can ask your parents when you get home. Okay, I was not sure how to do this. At the end of that part of the body, there is some skin. Wrong hand? Thank you. At the end of that part of the body, there is some sin. Uh, skin. Skin. 
<laughs> there is skin. And circumcision is when you just uh, cut a bit of that part of the skin off. Like, <laughs> not that much. <laughs> it was really creepy buying this knife, by the way. <laughs> yes, there you go. Um, that is what circumcision is. It doesn't sound very fun, which is why it was usually done when, when they were babies. Now, when Galatians was written, this letter, it happened to every single boy in the Jewish religion. Now, there were health reasons for it, but as well as that, God gave them this ceremony as a way of marking out who was part of God's people. It was, I guess, kind of like getting a tattoo if you joined a gang. Now, if you wanted to be part of God's people, if you wanted to be part of the Jewish people, you had to be circumcised. Then Jesus comes along, dies on the cross to take away sins, and he says, go out and tell people about me. In fact, go out and tell everyone on earth. So it gets out and it starts to get to people who are not Jews, people who have not had the snip, and they start to put their trust in Jesus. Now, what's the question that every good Jew will ask? Do they have to have the snip? And you need to realize that for thousands of years, every single male who's ever been part of God's people has been circumcised. So is it enough? This is the question they had to wrestle with. Is it enough merely to trust in Jesus? Or do you need to do that other thing as well? Now, I think we can find it hard to, to believe that this would have been a real question for them. But what about this? Is it enough to put your trust in Jesus to go to heaven? Or do you need to be baptized? Is it enough to put your trust in Jesus to go to heaven? Or do you need to go to church regularly? Is it enough to put your trust in Jesus? Or do you also need to read your Bible? And do you see that there's either a, there is a right and a wrong about this? The whole reason that Paul wrote this letter is because he is certain that the answer is C. He is certain that D is not right. In fact, he is certain that if you try to get to heaven by Jesus plus anything else, you won't get there at all. This letter is more intense, we saw last week, than any other letter that he writes. It's a 3,000-word essay to Christians that, on the other side of the world that he didn't need to write to, on the, well, at least on the other side of the Roman Empire. Um, and he, he had to send this by a messenger. Who knows what that would have cost? And Christianity, for 2,000 years of history, has passed this letter around. And the whole thing is to prove that C is the answer and not D. Paul sees how much this question matters. Do you see how much getting this wrong will matter more than any other mistake that you make in your life? See, that's what Jono talked about last week. He talked about how the stakes are heaven or hell. We are idiots if we don't care about these things. We're idiots if we don't care that we get this right. And we're idiots if we don't care that our friends get this right. And so the big question tonight is, how do we know that this is true? How do we know that Paul isn't just making this up? And that's actually why Paul wrote this section. He's already outlined the source of the true gospel. He's told us a bit about the substance of the true gospel. We've seen the stakes of the true gospel, heaven or hell. But if he's going to convince them, he needs to convince them that, and here's point number one, he's not making it up. Have a look at verse 11. You guys bring your Bibles like John I said last week? Have a look with me if you, if you did. If you don't, just look on someone near. Verse 11. 
And in this verse, he tells them what he wants them to know. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preach is not of human origin. There you go. Through this section of his letters, Paul is trying to persuade them that his gospel is the true gospel. And he starts to lay on reason after reason, and it's all to prove that he didn't make it up. It's all to prove that, as he says there, the gospel I preach is not of human origin. So the first reason that he gives there for how you can know that is that the gospel came to him directly from God. He didn't just believe what someone else told him. Look at verse 12. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ himself. Now, so many people that I talk to about Christian stuff just believe what people tell them. Now, this applies to Christians and also people who reject Christianity. See, there are Christians who just go along with whatever they were told by their parents, whatever they were told by their teachers, their youth group leaders. But as well as that, there are also people who reject the Bible and reject Jesus, and they do it based on what people told them as well. See, you've got no idea how many people I talk to who say things like, yeah, but the Bible's been changed over time. Or, yeah, but the Bible's been lost in translation. Or, yeah, but there's no real evidence for Jesus. And I, I always ask them, oh, okay, cool, so you've looked into it, like tell me what you've looked into it, where are you getting your information from? Because I have looked into it and I know that there's actually no truth to what you're saying. And I can tell before you even tell me that you haven't actually looked into it. If tonight you are someone who is rejecting Christianity, I want to ask you, where are you getting your information from? Because my guess is that it's probably not from a reliable source. Here are the words of Richard Dawkins, uh, the world's, well, one of the world's most famous atheists. An atheist is someone who doesn't believe in God. Isn't it a remarkable coincidence that almost everyone has the same religion as their parents? And it always just happens to be the right one, or so they believe. Religions run in families. If we'd been brought up in ancient Greece, we'd all be worshipping Zeus and Apollos. If we'd been brought up Vikings, we'd be worshipping Wotan and Thor. How does this come about? Through childhood indoctrination. What's the point that Richard Dawkins is making? He's saying just because you've been told something does not make it true. Just because your parents brought you up to believe it does not make it true. And I think he's right about it. Don't believe just because your parents believe. If your parents are Christian, are you just a Christian? Because that's what they told you is true. If that's you, you actually need to work out for yourself whether that's what you'll believe. Your parents being Christian is not enough. If, if they're Australian citizens, that will make you an Australian citizen. But if they're Christians, that doesn't make you a Christian. You need to decide for yourself whether Jesus will be your king and your saviour. But why should you? How do you know your parents got it right? Well, don't just believe what your parents believe. Don't just believe what your youth group leaders believe. Don't just believe it because you happen to be born in a country with more churches than mosques. That would be a dumb way to make the biggest decision of your life. But if you're, if you're sitting there cheering at what I've said because you think that it's all stupid, you don't believe in God, well, this applies to you as well. Don't just not believe in God because your parents don't believe. I always ask people who say they're atheists, who say they don't believe in God, how did you become an atheist? What makes you think that there's no God? Now, one guy I was talking to about your age, I was talking to him at Flipside. He said, when I was little, my dad sat me down on the bed and told me, son, 
I don't know if he said something, but told me, there's no God, it's all made up. I asked him, hang on a second, couldn't your dad have been wrong about that? Don't just believe what your teachers tell you. Don't just believe what YouTube tells you. It matters too much. That's one of the things I really like about Richard Dawkins. He realizes actually a right or a wrong answer. He realizes that the answer matters. He realizes that you don't want to get this one wrong. And so you need to hear me out tonight. What I'm saying is this. You need to work it out. So where should we get our information? Well, clearly not just from what other people are saying. And Paul says here that he didn't get it just from other humans. He got it from God himself. And if he's right about that, well, we've got to listen to him. But the skeptic in me says this. Sure you did, Paul. Yeah, sure, you got it from revelation. Just like Muhammad got a revelation from Allah, yeah? Just like every other crazy person who starts a religion. Couldn't it have been a hallucination? Couldn't it have been made up? Heck, couldn't it have even been a demon? Now, there's one thing I don't want to be able to be... There's one thing I don't want people to be able to accuse me of, and that's of just blindly following things, just blindly accepting things. I want to find out what's true. Now, Paul isn't finished building his case. His big point is, I'm not making this up, and he's about to pile on the evidence. So let's look at point number two. Taking that off, getting serious. Here's point number two. Something happened to change Paul from being a punisher of Christians to being a preacher of Christ. Now, do you guys notice the way he starts verse 13 with the word for? The word for means because. He's about to back up what he's just said. And he's, uh, if you keep reading, so let's have a look at verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism. So his evidence starts with his past life in the Jewish religion, Judaism. The one that we just talked about, the one that make everyone get circumcised. Now, do you notice he says there, you have heard. You can tell he's not making this up. See, he had a reputation. It was well known. He was kind of famous. And as, as you keep reading, you can kind of see why. He gives two examples of how committed he was to the Jewish religion. The first example might not make much sense. It might even sound like a bad thing. Have a look at verse 13. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Now, what's the first sign of how into the Jewish religion he was? Well, he persecuted the church of God. Do you know what persecuting is? The word means kind of like mistreating. So my, my parents have a pretty stinky dog. And I reckon we come pretty close to persecuting the stinky dog. Okay? We don't let it come near us because it stinks. In a storm, it gets like really clever and wants to like just stick right against you and put its head in your groin. And, and so we lock it in the lounge room because <laughs> it stinks. Okay, we, I think we come pretty close. Well, I don't live there anymore. My parents are the... Are the no, they're... they're anyway. Um, we come close to persecuting that, that dog. That's nothing compared to what Paul was doing as he was persecuting. If, my, if Paul was persecuting my parents' dog like he was persecuting the Christians, he'd be trying to lock them up in jail. He'd even be trying to get other people to throw rocks at the dog until it dies. Now, who is he doing it to? It says in that verse, the church of God, Christians. Now, that, that's what's Paul's view of them now. He's writing as a Christian saying the church of God. And it's interesting just to point something out there. Uh, he call, do you notice he calls it the church of God, not churches of God? Even though he's writing to Christian, uh, he's been, he was persecuting Christians all over the place um, in multiple towns and cities, in Paul's head now, 
All Christians together make up one church, the church, God's church. And that's how he sees them now, but that's not how he would have seen them at the time. As a Jew, uh, he would have believed that there was only one God. God is in heaven, and anyone who would be a human being and claim to be God would bring dishonor to the true God, and that person would deserve to be punished. And, well, that's exactly what the Christians were claiming. Yeah, they were claiming that this guy, Jesus, was God, a mere human being. And so, I mean, this sounds crazy to us, but this is the point he's making. He was so into the Jewish religion that he genuinely thought it was pleasing God to go around and try and stop this group of heretics claiming a mere human was God. So he was putting them in jail. Um, He was even having them put to death. Now, you can tell why this group of people in Galatia would have heard of him, yeah? You can see why he would have been able to say in verse 13, For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. Now, what do you think it would take? Genuine question for you. What do you think it would take for that kind of a person to become a Christian? Or imagine that you were looking him in the eyes and you were trying to persuade him to become a Christian. What words would you use? What arguments would you try to convince him with? Because something did happen that turned Paul from this punisher of Christians into a preacher of Christ. Now, he gives another example in verse 14 of how into Jewish religion he was. Have a look at verse 14. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, and I was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Now, what's he saying there? He's saying, I was good at it. As a Jew, I was doing very well. I was the smart guy that people looked up to. I had a great reputation. I was in line for a great job at the synagogue. People in society really looked up to me. I was as Jewish as I can get. Which means, guys, you've got to see this. What did Paul have to gain, gain from converting from Judaism to Christianity? When Paul became a Christian, he left behind his, his reputation, his standing society. He left all that behind to join a small cult that was being persecuted by people like him. And he ended up in jail. He ended up being whipped. He ended up shipwrecked. He almost died a bunch of times. What did he have to gain? My friends, I would ask them, why do you think, if you think someone made up Christianity, you've got to answer the question, why would they do it? I'll tell you, Paul didn't get anything out of it. Now, if, if someone did this, this would be bigger than, um, I'll try and give you an example, someone who followed the Terrigal Sharks Rugby League Club all of their life. Did anyone play for the Terrigal Sharks in here? Yes, one. Good work, mate. Uh, now, imagine that... Um, this guy, since he was five years old, he's been going for the Terrigal Sharks. He's been to every, every Saturday. He goes to the game. Um, really? There you go. Sunday, every Sunday he goes to the game. Tuesdays and Thursdays, he doesn't miss a training session. There you go. He's always out on the pitch with the boys. He's even coaching the, the youngsters. He even gets into fights with people from other clubs. He's so into it that all of his friends go to this rugby club. All, even his family are diehard supporters of this, this club. Now imagine that that guy joins the Umina soccer team. Okay, So now instead of going to the games on Sunday, <laughs> instead of going to the games on Sunday, he goes to the Umina soccer games. What's that going to cost him? Well, 
I actually reckon it will probably cost him some friends because he probably won't see those people as often. It might even cost him uh, their respect for switching to a lesser game, and that is a fact. Uh, and he, if that did happen, <laughs> thank you, if that did happen, well, what would be the question you'd be asking? You probably wouldn't be that upset, but you'd be asking, what happened? Why? Did he get bored of it? Did it ha- something happen with the club? But you would expect that something happened to change him. Now, what happened to Paul is way bigger than that. That's just a, a sport. This is Paul's deepest beliefs. This is something that he's so into that he's putting people in prison over it. And he leaves that behind to join the very people that he's been putting in prison. Why? What happened to cause that to happen? Something happened that turned Paul from a punisher of Christians to a preacher of Christ. Now here at Youth Group, um, towards the end of last term, Jono did a talk on why we can trust that Jesus rose from the dead. Because there's actually heaps more evidence than what I'm able to give you in this talk tonight. And at the end, do you remember Jono asked uh, if anyone had any questions? And someone asked a great question. See, Jono had made the point that Christians, the first Christians, had suffered for being Christians. Some of them had even died for it. And Jono said, would you suffer and die for a lie? The, The hand went up, and the question was a good one. People suffer and die for all sorts of religions. Muslims, other religions, I'm, I'm sure there's others. Uh, and, um, and that doesn't mean they're true. But I reckon what we're seeing tonight adds something pretty important to the, uh, to the picture. Because many people do suffer and die for what they've been brought up believing. Yeah? But Paul, in his life as, as a preacher of Christ, as he suffered, as he ended up in jail, as he was whipped, as he almost died, do you see what's different about him? He wasn't dying for something that he was brought up believing. He was dying, actually, for something that's so different from what he was brought up believing that at first he persecuted them for saying it. that make sense? Not just going along with what he's been indoctrinated as a child. Something has happened to change his mind so much that he'll even almost die for it, and potentially even did die for it in the end. So the question is, what happened to change him so dramatically? Well, he tells you in verse 15, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, when that God was pleased to reveal his son in me, so that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And then he goes on. So what happened? Well, here's what Paul believes happened. He believes that God had this planned, from before he was born. He says that he was set apart from his mother's womb. He believes that God himself called him. He says there by grace, which means he doesn't think he earned it. It was a gift. And he believes that it happened when God revealed his son to him. According to Paul, it all traces back to a moment when God showed him that Jesus really was his son. Not just a man claiming to be God, but really and truly the son of God, the one sent by God as the savior of the world. Now, if Paul really did believe that that had happened to him, would that explain the change? I think so. If you really believe that God had spoken to you and told you this and appeared to you. Now, if Paul, this is crucial to get, if Paul didn't really believe that it had happened to him, would it explain the change? No. He had nothing to gain from converting, nothing to gain from inventing a vision. He was on the right track, he thought. The one thing that we can be certain of at this point in the story is that Paul is not making this up. 
he really believes that this happened to him. But if you're a skeptic like me, you're still not convinced, yeah? You're thinking, okay, yeah, 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 but what were you smoking at the time, Paul? Was it good? It seems pretty good. You're having visions and you think God's talking to you. See, he could have really believed that it happened, but he could have just imagined it. And that brings us to the third point, which eliminates that as a possibility. Ready for point number three? The message that Paul got matched up. Have a look at verse number 16. Yeah, It's saying, when this happened, when I got this vision, we'll read the second half of the verse, my immediate response was not to consult any human being. I did not go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and later I returned to Damascus. See, Paul didn't go and and find out from the other Christians what he was supposed to be preaching. He already knew because God had revealed it to him. So he just got busy. In fact, this is in my notes, but I think it's pretty smart because imagine if he'd showed up at the Christians and was like, hey guys, I'm a Christian now. They're like, sure, Paul, you're just here to kill us. They wouldn't believe. So he just, "Eh, there's no point doing that. I'm just going to go off and start preaching. And then years later, he came back. God gave him a job to do, so he just went out and did it. Verse 18 says three years later, he, just, uh, he, he met up with some of the original disciples. It doesn't really say why he did that or, or what came of it. I think he's including that just so you, you can't say you left something out, Paul. He's, just, he's giving you the whole picture. Verse 22 says he still didn't go to the churches in Judea, which is where Jesus was around. They just heard about it. See, he's giving evidence that this change really happened. It happened, and it was so dramatic that everyone heard about it. Because check out verse 23. It says, They only heard the report, The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith that he once tried to destroy. And they praise God because of me. Now, just a quick aside. I pray, guys, that your life ambition will be to live a life like that, that causes others to praise God because of you. That's what I want my life. I want my life to lead others to praise God because of me. But where are you going with this, Paul? Why why are you telling us this? Well, he's showing us that his message didn't get contaminated. He didn't get it from other people. Through all these years, he didn't get it from humans. And now he's going to say that when he did go back to the original disciples who walked around with Jesus and tell them what God told him, it matched up. Have a look at chapter 2, verse 1. Then, after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. Verse 2 says he met with the leaders of the people privately, and it says he presented to them the gospel that he preached. See, he actually actually cared that he didn't get this wrong. And what was their verdict? We'll have a look at uh, verse 6, chapter 2. As for those who are held in high esteem, what they were makes no difference to me. God doesn't show favoritism. They added nothing to my message. What was different? What needed to be changed? Nothing. His message, the one that he got from his vision from Jesus, and their one that they got from walking around with Jesus, matched up exactly. So how do you know that Paul wasn't hallucinating or on drugs or just dreaming? Well, his message matched exactly what the other apostles were preaching. You don't get a true message on drugs. They were convinced from this that he was telling the truth. It says uh, in, the, in verse 9, they gave him the right hand of fellowship. I don't know what that would have looked like. Maybe like the Bra Boys, the right hand of fellowship. He's one of us. Uh, we're on the same team. Let's wrap this up. Paul 
if you've been tracking with me, there's no doubt Paul is not making this up. He got this straight from God. It's the sort of thing that produced a massive change in him, a change he can't explain any other way. He had nothing to gain from changing directions in life, nothing to gain from making it up. He really believes that it was a vision from God. And when he went to check, it matched up exactly with what the other disciples got straight from Jesus. Paul's not making it up. Unlike many people today who just believe whatever their parents tell them, Paul has heard from God. So the letter that we're reading this term, it lays out for us the true gospel, the only gospel that saves. And so let me end with just some application of that. Number one, don't accept what people tell you. Work out what's true. Number two, have confidence that this is the truth. I'll give you a tip for reading your Bible. See, it's possible to read this book just like it's words on a page. You just understand the words that are there, but it doesn't sink in. Uh, It doesn't change how you see the world. I wonder if you relate to this, but it's even possible to get two sorts of knowledge in your head. You've got kind of your Christian knowledge, your understanding of what the Bible says. That floats around up here. And then you've got your the knowledge that's really in your mind. You really like your deep beliefs, the way that you really see the world, the the way that you really make your decisions. How do you get your Christian knowledge to filter down here? Well, it's by believing that this is the truth. You have confidence that this is the truth and that the things that it says about God and about life and about Jesus and about eternity, about heaven and hell, about the Holy Spirit, about the gospel being people's only hope for rescue from hell to heaven forever, you have confidence that everything it says about those things is true. You don't just understand what it's saying, but you let it filter down into the way you actually see the world. And so my tip for reading the Bible is this. Don't just read it. But when you open it up, remind yourself, this is from God. I can have confidence that this is the truth. Number three, don't be half in, half out. Some of you guys, you've been around for a while. You might have even grown up around Christianity. But you're half in, you're half out. You've got one foot in Christianity and one foot out of it. And I'll say that's the worst place to be. It's either true or it's not. Either commit fully or get completely out of it. What we've heard tonight is that it's not made up. This is the true gospel. It is the only way to be saved. And so only one of those directions in life makes sense. Don't be half in, half out. Decide tonight whether you want to be fully in. Number four, no matter how hard the Christian life gets, don't let go. We sang it. These are the words of eternal life. To whom else would you go to? Not great grammar. Who else would you go to? To whom else would you go? Is that right, Elliot? Yes. Let me say it again. These are the words of eternal life. Where else would you go? This is not made up, which means that anything else that you choose, as good as it looks, is actually choosing to lose the relationship with the God who loves you and made you. It's actually choosing eternal punishment. Now, what is worth missing out on God for? What's worth missing out on heaven for? See, guys, there are small decisions that you will make that will have big consequences. Deciding to date that non-Christian guy or non-Christian girl, it will, I've seen it, it will hurt your Christian life. When it's a cold night and you don't feel like it, well, whether you come to youth group or church that night will be either a step towards Jesus or away from him. Your habits of church attendance, 
Bible reading, prayer, they seem like small things. But over the course of the year, they actually make a gigantic difference where you end up. I'm not saying you need to do those things to be saved. But we've seen tonight that this is the truth. And so don't let small decisions that you make have big consequences in your life. Don't let those small decisions allow you to let go of the truth bit by bit. Decide tonight that you'll hold to the truth no matter what. And then make those small decisions that will keep you holding on. Fifthly, evangelize with confidence. When you, when you tell your mates the gospel, don't be a jerk about it, but don't be half-hearted about it either. This isn't made up. This is the truth from God himself. And that leads me to the last thing I'm going to say. If you are not a Christian, there is no doubt, oh no, there is a little bit of doubt, but there shouldn't be any doubt in my mind tonight that God himself wants you to come home to him. I think you know it deep down as well. You know that if you come by trusting in Jesus, he'll forgive you. So come home to God tonight through Jesus.